In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was moving over the face of the waters. And God said, And there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness God called night. And there was evening, and there was morning one day. And God said, And God made the firmament and separated the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament. And it was so. And God called the firmament heaven. And there was evening and there was morning a second day. And God said, Let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place. And let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth, and the waters that were gathered together he called seas, and God saw that it was good. And God said, Let the earth put forth vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit, in which to their seed, each according to its kind, And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kind, and trees bearing fruit in which is, is their seed, each according to its own kind. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening, and there was morning a third day. And God said, Let there be lights in the firmament of the heavens to separate the day and the night. And let them be for signs, for seasons, and for days and years. And let them be lights in the firmament of the heavens to give light And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. God made the stars also and set them in the firmament of the heavens to give light upon the earth, to rule over the day and over the night and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning a fourth day. And God said, let the waters bring forth swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the dome of the sky. So God created the great sea monsters and every living thing that moves of every kind, with which the waters swarm, and every winged bird and every kind. And God saw that it was good. God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the waters in the seas, and let the birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening, and there was morning, the fifth day. And God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures of every kind, cattle and creeping things and wild birds of the earth of every kind. And it was so. God made the wild animals of the earth of every kind and the cattle of every kind and everything that creeps upon the ground of every kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let us make mankind in our own image according to our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the wild animals of the world, and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So God created humankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it 
and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. God said, See, I have given you every plant yielding seed that upon the face of the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit, you shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the air and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has, that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw everything there was... <coughs> that God saw everything that he made, and indeed, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all in their multitude. And on the seventh day, finished, God finished the work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day for all the work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and hallowed it, because on it God rested for all the work that he had done in creation. The word of the Lord. Uh, maybe just a quick word before I start this morning. I, as I was standing there uh, just now thinking about preaching this morning, sometimes it happens that um, uh, stories kind of come to us at appropriate times. Uh, and if you're uh, someone who comes to church regularly, that happens, I think, often. And for whatever reason, uh, having creation come has been... Um, uh, in our story has been really helpful, and for whatever, I'll, get, I'll talk about this a little bit in the sermon, it's, it's just made me feel, do you ever get in the mood where you're just not, I don't know if the right word is melancholy, but sort of, I just, that sort of pause feeling for just a second, if I didn't have to preach this morning, I would have rather been sitting at home quietly pondering the flowers, is what I'm trying to tell you. Uh, there's something about the reading of the creation story that is humbling and um, has just caused me to pause a little bit this week. So I feel a little bit subdued is what I'm telling you. Uh, let us pray. Gracious and loving God, stir up your holy power this morning and come. Send your spirit into our hearts, our minds, our souls, and our ears that we might hear a word for us today anew and that we too might then live out that which we believe. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I, I'm sure it's because I've been reading the creation story that it sort of suddenly popped out at me that in our culture lately, we have heard or been uh, told lots of origin stories. Uh, maybe it's because I like to go to the movies, uh, but I've noticed that with lots of our superhero characters lately, we've had a lot of origin stories. Are anybody cartoon, uh, like Captain Marvel? It's not Marvel, Marvel. Anybody see these movies or the sp All right, good. One person, this is gonna go well. I can. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Lily. Uh, anyway, I've noticed that we've had lots of these lately about some of our superhero characters, their origin stories, where they came from, uh, how they came to be, who they are, what their powers are, how they came this way. Um, so most of you probably know how Spider-Man got to be Spider-Man, right? There's lots of different ways that this happens. In essence, he gets bit by some sort of radioactive spider and he turns into Spider-Man, right? There are these stories, and, and of course you have to know who Peter Parker was to understand who Spider-Man is, right? You don't get one without the other. Um, if these aren't your kind of stories, we actually do this at weddings too, I've noticed. Uh, we tell the story of how the couple met, of how it came to be that they became a couple, uh, which tells us a little bit about who they are and how they became to be this couple. 
how they met, who hooked them up, or who got them connected, or if it was a blind date or what happened, whatever. Uh, there's something about the way we tell our origin stories that somehow we have this strange sense encompasses all the whole. Uh, I've noticed too lately, uh, there have been lots of people that uh, have been taking trips back to Norway or Sweden, or there are people that take trips back to Israel or maybe to Africa to figure out what? Where their roots are. These origin stories are identity stories. Uh, whenever we do these kinds of things, we're trying to figure out at least a little bit who we are. It's interesting that we use the word that we are grounding ourselves in these stories because so often they are connected to some ground, whether it's Germany or Norway or Africa or Sweden or Israel or someplace like that. And we have the sense that they tell us not only who we are, but who we belong to. Yesterday, somebody was telling me the story about how bad St. Olaf actually was, that he was really no saint at all, but then he becomes one. Uh, and this is where they went to school, and so in some place, it has this strange sense of identity for them. I find that to be just sort of interesting. We are almost always fascinated with origin stories. And what I find really interesting about it, because I reflected on my own, I have one story that you've heard me tell before about a guy named Hannibal Hamlin, who was Abraham Lincoln's first vice president, and then he quit, otherwise he would have been president. And I always like to say we were that close, right? Uh, but um, too, too soon? I mean, sorry, that was supposed to be funny. Not funny. <laughs> All right. Anyway, I have this weird... I never knew this guy. He's like my great-great-great-great-great-great-grandfather, but somehow me being connected to him sort of makes me feel strangely proud, as if by osmosis I was somehow myself almost the vice president. <laughs> right? <laughs> now that's funny. <laughs> but we have this weird sense that these stories about people that we are sort of connected to by blood or by osmosis or by going back to Norway, we somehow get reconnected with who we are. These origin stories are super important for us. They're also enormously individual and specific. The creation story of Genesis is meant to be universal and all-encompassing. It is, in fact, our origin story as people of faith. And like so many of those other origin stories, it is a gift and not something that we've earned. And strangely, I find that to be enormously comforting because so often I just doubt that the things I've earned, I've really earned. Either they've somehow been given to me by mistake or I really didn't do good enough to really earn that thing or maybe I didn't. But the beauty, I think, of some of the origin stories, especially this one of creation, is it is given to you as a gift. You are the creature and not the creator and there is not one darn thing you could possibly do about that. It is completely unearned. It comes from outside of you and is given to you as a gift. And in fact, I would argue that it comes as a poetic love story, that the whole story of Genesis is a poetic singing of the world into being, a love song sung in poetic prose, morning and evening, another day, and it is good. It sounds to me, and the reason I feel sort of the way I feel is to be captured by the sense that you are the creature and not the creator is a humbling and even relaxing position. Like a love song sung to the material world, God speaks the world into being out of divine creativity and divine relationship and divine love. 
The rhythmic poetry to me is palpably comforting, especially in what I would perceive to be a divided and enormously chaotic world. It sounds to me like a gentle hand bringing control over the diversity of paints to create a canvas of a beautiful piece of art or the chisel of a sculpture revealing the David hidden in the seemingly random block of stone. God brings a diversity of order through love, and God sees that it is good. And there is morning, and there is evening, another day. The other thing that I find so comforting in this story is that the origin of Genesis 1 is probably written by a group of people who were in exile, who were held captive, a family who was held in captivity, the family of early Jewish people caged in exile in Babylon. This is their origin story over and against their sense of being captive. It is, in fact, a story of protest filled with promise. God has created. God will create again. The world is born of love, not of hate, not of war, not of violence, not coercion, but the gentle speaking of divine parents who birthed a world of grace and hope and beauty and joy and song. And there is evening and there is morning and evening and another day. <laughs> and strangely, let me say this, there is no I in creation. In the beginning, when God creates, when God makes the heavens and the earth, there is a mighty wind, the breath of God, the spirit of God, the Ruach Elohim is what the Hebrew says. The Ruach Elohim is the feminine presence to the male divine, hovering over the water of the deep and devoid. Now, I know full well, because I looked, there is no scholar that would agree with the statement that I'm about to make, but too bad, they can come and find me and kick me out of my doctoral program. I think, though, reading this story, the beginning of the birth of creation as told through the Hebrew scriptures is the birth of the world through the relational love of the divine masculine and the divine feminine cooperating to bring the world into being. And while I think often we think of God as either being genderless or without gender, I've come to see actually God as encompassing all gender, male, female, asexual, heterosexual, homosexual, transgender, and everything in between, as we see it in the hints of God's beautiful and divine, diverse creation. I, in fact, don't see it as a binary choice of gender, but a dynamic being of relational expression in the artistic diversity of God's beloved creation. I believe that God encompasses all gender and its fluidity on a spectrum that is as beautiful of the diversity that God has created in the world. And there is morning and another day and evening. And in all human beings, God looks out and says, very, very good. And then finally, a special place is given to all human beings to tend, to steward, to have dominion 
in the very sense of God's gracious, loving, benevolent dominion over all creation, in the same sense of the poetic dominion in which God speaks and sings the world into being, the dominion is not of one of prose, of taking and using and abusing. It is the one of careful mothering and fathering and relational care of the very dirt out of which you have been born. It is important to remember our origin story, that our very being is order and relationship and connection, not the chaos of divisive speech, but in the unity of our shared connection with creation and with each other, we are commissioned by God to speak in love toward each other and toward creation in all that we both say and do. In a hurting world, and if the world is physically hurting, having caught a fever of too much carbon, we are called to speak in love, to use less, to harness the mighty wind of our mother's spirit, to capture the brilliance of God's voice, let there be light, to power gently the hopes for the future that God envisions for the whole planet, every creature, plant, you and me, our children, my niece and my nephew, who deserve the promise of the same world that I came into and not one that has been abused. And not only creation, but to speak a word of tenderness and love to one another in the scorching heat of political divisive discourse. Let us be reminded that we are all born of the same dust, cracked and fractured and fragile, who need to drink of the life-giving water of respect, forgiveness, and the sun-soaked refreshment of kindness and compassion for all people. For in the beginning, when God made the heaven and the earth, the earth was without form and void, with darkness over the face of the abyss, and a Ruach Elohim, a mighty wind that swept over the surface of the waters. God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. He called the light day, and the darkness he called night. So evening came, and morning came, and there was one more day. Amen.